I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. I'm here with Jenna Hobbs. Hi. Uh, we're talking about Notes on Blindness, which is a documentary written and directed by Peter Middleton and James Spinney. We've got an interview with them coming up a little later. The film will be available on Curzon Home Cinema and is out in cinemas July the 1st, which is of course today. There's not really spoilers this week, but there are certain themes and overall feelings that you might want to discover and come across yourself while watching the film. Uh, without having those ideas placed in your head by us beforehand. So we're going to be talking about those after we play you the interview. Jenna, what did you think? I absolutely loved this film, Helen. It was, I just found it remarkable and really moving and affecting. And I think I might be so bold as to say it's my favourite film so far this year. I agree. Yeah? So much. Great. It was one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. I'm trying really yeah. hard not to sound so over the top. Oh, I know, I know. It's incredibly genuine. It is. My honest respect and love mm-hmm. for this film. And the film itself is also incredibly genuine. It's just such yeah. an honest, beautiful, poignant portrayal of, of uh, his life. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's. Maybe we should actually say what the film is about. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I think we should just keep using... Just keep gushing about it. <laughs> the next ten minutes. Well done. So, the film stars Dan Rendon-Skinner and mm-hmm. Simone Kirby, who play John and Marilyn Hole, and they lip-sync to the audio recordings that uh, John Hole made throughout his experience of going blind. Mm-hmm. And... As well, there were interviews with Peter and James conducted with a couple, and they feed into the story as well. Yeah, it's really beautifully done, because he recorded these over a space of his initial kind of recordings in a a diary format over a space of about three years, is that right? Mm. So he called it Notes on Blindness. Yes. And he uh, uh, sought to document Mm -hmm. his feelings like a diary yeah and his kind of discoveries that he made along the way and then so at times it feels very present and current and there's the kind of reflective tone as well that you get from I suppose the later interviews that he and his wife conducted later on exactly if we there's loads to discuss but if we start with the actors so let's start let's start with talking about Dan and Simone Mm -hmm. I don't want to focus on the lip syncing too much okay 
Because I think their performances are so much more than that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The- and I don't want it to seem like a gimmick. Like, because it's not I don't like think a- it's a gimmick at all. No, I don't think it is. But I think we need to talk about more than that. Yeah, so definitely. Yeah. I mean, the lip syncing, the choice of using the lip syncing and kind of the verbatim telling of the story, I just think it... Letting the, the two people have their own voices portrayed on the screen, I think it's just incredible. And the actors themselves are just doing an amazing job of seeming so so real and so connected to those voices even though they obviously aren't it's outstanding Mm -hmm. the way it's performed Dan Brenton Skinner comes from a really strong comedy background oh really? yeah so he used to play this I don't know if you know there's this like guy like he did a character Mm -hmm. called Angelos Angelos Epithemu okay it was really funny. What was it? But on? I didn't realise it was him when I watched this. Oh really? And I was like, oh my gosh, it's him. So he used to kind of appear on stuff like Eight Out of Ten Cats mm. and Oh different you know, like Russell House Good News yeah, when yeah, they yeah. do like the bit at the end with the comedian who's like a guest. And he used to have a Sainsbury's bag. <laughs> like a plastic bag. And he would just play this character. So it was a performance. So this is just a massively different role for him. Right. But he has done more... He's also kind of worked with Alan Partridge and okay. stuff. But he's done more... So he was in High Rise as oh, Simmons. Okay. Again, I didn't recognise him No, no, I didn't recognise him from High Rise at all. Yeah. Oh, he was just amazing Wasn't in this he? Film. Absolutely incredible. Just watching his face alone was just... It took you on this emotional journey. He just captured it so beautifully. So, so beautifully. Also, what's so great is that he doesn't overdo it. No, not at all. Like, all of his actions are really small Mm -hmm. and considered. It's very subtle, isn't it? And it's such a good take on frustration Mm -hmm. without frustration being like someone slamming doors and banging on tables. Yeah, because it doesn't seem like John Hull himself was that kind of man. You know, from the voice and the way he talks. I wonder how much time the two of them spent together, or did they spend any time together, do you know? I don't actually know. I know that he he was obviously the directors mm-hmm. spent a lot of time yeah. with um, them. I don't know. I'll just say. Yeah, but I mean, he does an amazing job, and it, it seemed like you know the way he acted, his movements, the looks in his face just seemed so fitting with the tone of the voice and the delivery of the voice that came through. Yeah, just amazing. It was just beautiful. And Simone, um, she's probably best known for her portrayal as Irene in Peaky Blinders. Mm -hmm. I thought her, the way she looked at John, Dan who plays John, Mm -hmm. spoke so truly of like a love and a companionship. And the way they relate to each other is so convincing. Yeah, it really is. I actually completely forgot that it wasn't actually them. That we weren't actually looking at... Uh, like uh, old footage of the two of them together while they were talking at a different point. I completely forgot that I was. That's wasn't. how I felt. Yeah. Also, it really, really, the whole idea of it reminded me of verbatim theatre so much, or quite a few verbatim theatre productions I've seen. Um, like, oh, I've forgotten what it's called. It's an Alecky Blythe play anyway, where the actors, they all have uh, recordings of the prostitutes they are representing on stage in their ears the whole time, and they copy the tone of voice and everything like that as they deliver the lines and tell the story. And yeah, it's this kind of honest truthfulness is something I don't think I've seen in film before. I've only really felt like I've seen it in the theatre. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't think of any films that this reminded me of, and that's a really good thing. Yeah, definitely. It just seems so, like, 
fresh and new and in such an interesting way of can we call this a documentary mm. do they call this a documentary yeah okay because i think we're like it's somewhere between the two mm. that's something that came up with the fire at sea thing isn't it yeah um kind of what's the line I, yeah they refer to it as a documentary okay, cool. i think it is a documentary it's nice because it's doesn't use talking heads yes Actually, lots of good documentaries recently haven't been using talking heads. Yeah, I think there's a real move away from yeah. that. Yeah. And it's really nice to see. I like it a lot. I like a lot of documentaries that use talking heads. Yeah, of course. But it's just nice to see. It's nice it? to see a change and to, yeah, yeah, get a different kind of perspective on it. It's just so beautiful. Absolutely stunning. Yeah, the way it's... The cinematography is mm. incredible in this film. The way... So he talks about a lot at the beginning about how he is sort of losing his memory of the world, of the way the world looks. Right, so he loses his sight. Yes. But then that... He starts to lose his, um, his memory of faces. Yeah. And places. And he kind of talks about it interesting. So he loses his sight first, but then it's almost like losing it again as he loses the memory of the way things looked and things like that. But he does quite clearly say that he can remember photographs quite well. Mm. And I really felt like with the cinematography, it the way like the kind of colors and the the like palette tone felt almost like photographs from the 70s, 80s or whatever the times he was talking about. There's such a warmth. He's such a it. warmth. Yeah. There's a couple of dream sequences as well. I suppose they're the moments where they get kind of really creative. Yes. I talk in the in the in the <laughs> I talk in the interview about the rain. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the rain scene! Isn't that amazing? It's stunning. Yeah. So in his in his notes on blindness, John talks about how the rain gives a form to things. Mm-hmm the way it bounces off and you can hear the different sounds and it kind of allows him to feel part of the world again mm-hmm. when it rains and the way that they visualize that is oh we keep saying beautiful it's breathtaking well done it's and another word to describe so much the film i suppose is breathtaking as well and i think you know the rain sequence it does you know there's the thing the world is big isn't it and i feel like with the way the film deals with the elements kind of reminds you and probably this came from John that the world is more than who you are and by losing your sight I suppose you can become so insular but those kind of things open you out again and yeah yeah it's about him reconnecting with the world Mm -hmm. as well isn't it yeah definitely I also thought the scene at the beginning of the hospital was really well done um, it's not very long, yeah, it's really but uh, they sort of focus on the mouth of the doctor mm-hmm. telling him about the condition of his eye and how there's not really anything that they can do. And I think hospitals are one of those places that have been done a lot in film. Yeah. And there's certain tropes yes, yeah. that are really well avoided here. So they, they still have the clinical white atmosphere that I don't think you can ever get away mm-hmm. from because that is... That's just so is indicative of what it is. Right, but then they compare it to the kind of soft red Mm. of the eye. Yes. Which is kind of Mm. womb-like. That is obviously the thing that's going wrong, you Mm -hmm. know? So there's kind of like a comfort that comes from that colour, but then, of course, that's the degeneration that's leading him to lose his sight. 
Definitely. And I, I loved how much uh, I felt like I could see eyes everywhere within the film and the mm-hmm. cinematography. So that there were shots, beautiful shots of spiral staircases that went to a point and it looked like an eye. Or the tape recorder, as it was, the way it focused uh-huh. on it, looked like the pupil of an eye. Just, I kept seeing eyes everywhere. The attention to detail is outstanding. Yeah, it really is. And must be noted. Water's used a lot in the film. Yeah. Beyond just the rain, there's a baptism scene at the beginning. Mm-hmm. There's or a christening, sorry. Um, there's uh, a nightmare he has. Oh yes. Um, which was done so well. Yeah, brilliantly well. I don't want to spoil it. Don't no. spoil that. <laughs> but, but that bit's really good. It's very good. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about this idea of. The fil- a film that explores blindness. Mm-hmm. And there's obviously a certain juxtaposition with that. Yeah, and just the fact that it uses visuals, I suppose, in the first place when it's a film about blindness. Yeah. And, you know, because I suppose there could be, you know, why is it a film and not just a kind of audio recording in the way that he originally sent it out. But I, I do think that, you know, as a seeing person, the way they kind of explore the visuals of the film, it it's quite disorientating, especially in the way that... John initially speaks about losing his sight and um, how he could still see flickers of images and partial bits of light. And at times it feels like you can't see everything. They do use darkness very well and sort of things being out of focus. Mm. I really found it amazing. Mm. And it's important to mention that James and Peter and the whole team have done a lot of work in terms of the audio and mm. they've created what's called a VR experience oh, cool. that goes along with the film. Um, and they talk about that in the interview, so now's probably a good time to hand me over to me in, <laughs> in the past. Hi, Helen. Hello there. So um, here I am with Peter Middleton and James Spinney. I was worried it was spiny. <laughs> it's spiny. Um, who are the writers and directors from Notes on Blindness. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank oh, you very much. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Um, so I understand you first became aware of John's writing while researching how blind people cope with adverse weather conditions. Is that right? My um, I wondered if you could describe a little bit about how you met him and how things developed. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a while ago now, sort of five years or so, um, or six years probably. Um, James and I, as I said, were sort of researching around various different kind of issues sort of associated with blindness and came across John's book, a book um, that was published in the 1990s called Touching the Rock, which is in effect a kind of, um, uh, in effect is his, his diaries that he kept between 1983 and 1986. Um, and now incredibly far-reaching, documenting the, the sort of effect of, of blindness on his life and his uh, relationships with his with his family um, on his sort of uh, psychological um, state and his dreams and his memories and so forth and what begins is sort of a, a process of kind of grieving and and, and of of, uh, of loss over the time becomes one of kind of transformation and sort of rebirth and and um, by the end of the diaries he comes to see blindness as this kind of dark paradoxical gift around which he um, around which he kind of completely redefines his life. Um, and so, we, of course, we found this incredibly compelling in, in written form. But in the in the book, it mentioned that um, it was uh, based on these audio cassettes that John would record um, on a sort of a daily basis, almost throughout throughout the period. And we knew that if this material was still kind of in existence, then it would make um, fairly sort of uh, compelling subject matter on, on which to base um, a, a, a long form. Um, Documentary, and, and and so we reached out to John, and um, within a few months, he'd kind of been good enough to to share with us this this old box of cassettes that 
that uh, hadn't really been listened to before in public um, and certainly hadn't been played for, for over 20 years. So it's, uh, yeah, it was the start of um, a sort of long journey that's taken us, <laughs> taken us here. Um, so you mentioned John sort of seeing it as a gift. He, he says in the film it's one he didn't want, but mm. he, he does sort of come to see it as that. Um, seeing the way he described his blindness or the um, experience, like his smiles being like dead letters and things, I can now but think, in a way, John was like a gift to his blindness because the way he described it was so compelling. Um, when you listen to those tapes, how did you feel? Were you immediately kind of taken aback? Were you... Yeah, um, I mean, that's one of the things that we feel makes John's account so compelling is that it looks in both directions, both at the, the sighted life that he's leaving behind, but also the, the blind uh, identity that he comes to discover. Um, and in that process of, of, um, of grieving for his sighted life, um, he, he goes through a process of, of really deconstructing the role of visual experience in our everyday life, in our sense of identity, how it plays into our memories, our dreams, our imaginative life, our sense of self. And things like um, him considering how um, no longer having the reciprocal act of smiling or of, or of eye contact, um, how those tiny nuances of communication change when you become blind was, was one of the things that makes his account so remarkable, I think. And it's one that I think means it speaks both to, to blind and to sighted audiences because um, it has so much to say about, about both types of experience. Absolutely. Have you, um, what's your uh, experience of the reactions been like from both uh, sighted but then also partially sighted people as well? Well, um, we're very much at the start of that process, yeah. really. The, uh, we only had our UK premiere last week at Sheffield Dockfest. Um, but one of the things that we've been trying to do is to make sure there is a rewarding experience for, for, um, for all audiences. Um, so alongside the standard version of the film at Sheffield, we also premiered um, what we're calling the enhanced soundtrack. Um, and our approach with this was to turn off the picture and, and try and make sure that the film worked as an audio-only piece. And our ambition really was to, uh, was to make sure that it was a, a richly cinematic experience, an experience that could be, um, that could be enjoyed in, in surrounding sound um, by both blind and, um, and sighted audiences together. So the process was that rather than having an audio describer, um, we actually incorporated more narration from the lead characters, John and Marilyn. We also um, incorporated additional sound design and music cues to try and make a piece that you know is completely tonally coherent with the, the feel of the film, um, but also understandable by all audiences. So that's a version of the film that will be available on demand um, and also through an app that we doing with partnering with the RNIB um, called Movie Reading, um, which will allow audiences to choose which version of the soundtrack they'd like to hear. Um, we should also mention that alongside that we've also got a wonderful audio described version of the film. We've been working with one of the UK's leading describers, Louise Fryer, who has actually written a PhD on audio description um, to, do, um, to do the audio description version of the film. So we're really excited about what you know, different audiences, both blind and sighted, will, will find in the film and in, and in John's account. Absolutely. Um... So a friend of mine is partially sighted and he's just started walking with the stick yeah. um, and he described, he was talking to me about his experience of before he didn't use a stick and now he does, people just automatically assume he's fully blind. Yeah. Um, so he's had strangers grab him because they think they're helping and uh, funny stories but that are very difficult um, at the same time yeah. and he was kind of talking about this idea that um, John also picked up on, on the insight and how it's difficult to have insight into somebody else's yeah. life. Um, do, do you hope that this film helps a little bit with that? I certainly found it really insightful and I think it does achieve that. Um, 
Well, I think, I mean, first of all, it's, as you say, it's so important to remember, I think, that blindness is not a binary condition that actually encompasses such a range of um, experiences of sight loss. And in fact, I think it's only something like 5% of people who are registered as blind have no light perception. It's something that I think, you know, John very much set out as part of his project in, in, in writing and talking about blindness was, was how to communicate across different worlds of experience and start conversations about that. Um, he talked a lot about how language itself is based on, on visual concepts. So even communicating through language, we have to find new and, and, and challenge ourselves to find new ways of, of expressing these different experiences. Um, and it's something that, um, you know, documentary should certainly sort of rise to the challenge of, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think you guys have done a good job. <laughs> Just for me. Um, you beautifully <clears throat> actualised John's description of the rain. Um, I kind of want to talk a little bit more about water being a theme in the film. But I just wondered, this might be a little bit strange, but uh, was, when it's raining inside, was that at all... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Tarkovsky. Um, <laughs> um, I think our cinematographer likes to think so. Joe Floyd is, uh, is a big Tarkovsky fan. And, and ah, okay. But I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the, the imagery in the film, and um, a lot of the water imagery in particular, was derived directly from John's account um, yeah. after losing sight. Um, John, John continued to dream visually for a number of years, um, and these were sort of powerful, vivid, um, vivid dreams. He described dreaming as, as kind of like his. Uh, his last state of, of kind of visual consciousness. And a lot of the sort of water imagery of, of, of flooding, of being sort of dragged down to the depths of the ocean, of, his, of waves sweeping away his family, um, a lot of these, a lot of the dreams tended to mirror these anxieties that were going on in, in his waking life as well. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of estrangement from, from his family, the sense of sort of, um, sort of drifting apart from, yeah. from his wife and so forth. So, um, so yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the, that imagery is, um, was, is, is, in the, is in John's testimony and, and it was a continual source of, of kind of inspiration for us, actually, as we were looking to, to develop ways of kind of um, interpreting uh, John's, John's words. We would, we would often kind of just delve back into the account and, um, and uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a kind of collaborative process in that sense. Um, I read that uh, you were kind of working on it and then John and Marilyn found a whole bunch of other tapes that uh, had a lot of stuff about Christmas mm. and also the kids doing their recordings. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's particularly one with the weather. That, well, they're all lovely, but the one where she's like, it's raining, it's sunny, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's really great. How, it, how important was that, uh, looking back now on the finished film, finding that, that box? 
Well, it's so strange in terms of the sort of journey of the project because it actually happened relatively late. Um, it actually happened only about six months before we were, we were due to shoot the film. Um, but it was completely transformative, I think, because suddenly a lot of the voices that, you know, um, suddenly a lot of the characters that, that John was describing in his account, um, his, his, his young family, his children, Imogen, Thomas, um, Gabby. As well as his mother, his uh, John's parents in Australia. Um, there's, a, there's a crucial part of, of his account where he goes back to uh, to his the place of his birth in Australia and visits his his parents, and has and struggles to, to to find a connection with them and also with the landscapes of, of his youth. Suddenly, all of these characters were now kind of bursting through the speakers, and we had these conversations because John would set up recorders much as you would um, record home movies. He he recorded Christmases, birthdays, but even just um, you know conversations, recording um, recording the, him reading with the children, um, and they even took these recorders out to Australia on this on this trip with them. So suddenly, it meant I suppose that we had actuality material in documentary terms that. Um, that we can incorporate, and so it wasn't a purely narrated piece. Um, and that, I think, really um, made the lip-syncing technique come into its own, because initially we were just thinking about it um, in the context of, of the interview material that we had. Um, and so, yeah, it was utterly transformative. And Marilyn actually revealed to us in Sheffield last week that she had found another box of tapes, which, uh, <laughs> which we feel we must never listen to for fear of, uh, of what they might contain. extra. Absolutely. So there's a scene on Christmas Day that's particularly emotive to watch, um, and it's really cleverly done how you kind of intersperse the present with them talking about it at the past. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about where in that process that scene came in, and maybe it's might have been quite difficult for John and Marilyn to kind of go back and talk about that. Mm. Um, I don't want you to talk on their behalf, obviously, but just as as writers and directors, your experience of that. Part of the process with John and Marilyn was, uh, and, and something that they were so generous in, in the way that they approached it, was kind of going back through this, this very painful time um, in, their, in their lives, and one that was now, uh, was by the time we were talking to them, 25 years in, in the past. Um, and... Uh, I think as we say we were always amazed at the generosity with which they approached it Um, they talked about it as reopening an old wound Um, and so part of that meant going through uh, Christmas 1983 which was a particularly difficult time when um, John felt particularly alienated from, um, from the experience of opening presents with the family so it felt important I think to try and incorporate the act of remembering within the memories themselves and, and try and I suppose also allude to the to how we're reconstructing those things and reconstructing our own sense of self and our own sense of identity um, you know as we as we move forward in our lives. Um, so that was the approach with with moving between recordings that were kept during that Christmas time and uh, and John and Marilyn commenting on it today and, and letting those two things fold in on one another. Just one more, one more, and then it's yeah, yeah. No, no. Um, so I occasionally get this horrible moments in my life where it sort of dawns on me that it, it, all sorts of horrible things can happen. That, um, yeah. it, blindness being one of them, I sort of realise it's very much in the realm of possibility that that could happen at some time in my life. Um, and just on a personal note, I found this film to be really hopeful and comforting in the idea that, in fact, people can adjust to it and it you can still be happy with this and in a really profound way I just wondered if it was important to you for this film to be a message of hope Absolutely um, I think one of the 
big lessons that we've personally learned from spending time with John and Marilyn is the power in, in interpreting what you might perceive as loss, as change. Um, John's account is one that certainly is a very, is a, is a purging and painful one and one that, that doesn't shy away from the grief that he feels at times. Um, but there is, a, there is a shift in the way that John starts to think about sight loss um, where he starts to reject the idea that he'll live in the nostalgia of the visual world, the idea that he'll live in an experience that's no longer relevant to him. Um, it takes him a number of years, but I think there's tremendous hope in, in the way that he reconfigures his existence. And even by the end of the Keeping the Diaries comes to conceive of blindness as, as a gift. Um, he also talks about how he feels that, that his academic life and his intellectual life reaches a sense of focus um, that he, he, he doesn't think would have been possible had he retained sight. Um, so, um, so yeah, we, we hope that, that, the, that in presenting John's account, it's kind of an honest balance between the process of, of mourning that he felt, but also the discovery of this new identity that, that he came to find after a number of years. Thank you, Helen. Um, <laughs> Good and, job, Helen. And James and Peter. Uh, they were so nice. Yeah. And really thought about their answers, mm-hmm. which was wonderful. I suppose it's such a sensitive subject, isn't it, this film? And it's dealt with so sensitively the whole way through. So much respect. Yes, yes. Well, how can you not have respect for... I mean, for John, his journey was incredible. His, like, grace and patience and understanding is absolutely incredible. And he so rarely sounds angry with what happened to him as well. Yeah, he's lost at points. Yeah. But he's not... And you wouldn't blame him for being angry. No, you wouldn't. Um, there's something about this idea of things being fixed in the film. So there's a section where his, one of his children asks why God can't make him see. Mm-hmm. And then his older daughter says, asks, if I cry into your eyes, will my tears make you see again? Um, and then, soon after that, we get the faith healer. Mm. Uh, which is one of the few moments where there's actually sort of an outside character doing some yes outside of the stuff. family yeah, yeah. Um, that the the writers have kind of you know literally just written from mm-hmm. from John's account of it. Um, what did you think about that that part of the film? Because for me, it was like a really important collection of perspectives that mm-hmm. showed how you can't go back. And I thought it was really well juxtaposed with the children who kind of innocently wish on going back to time. But then there's the more morally dubious Mm -hmm. kind of healer who's offering a regression into the past. Yeah, yeah. I found that whole whole kind of section very interesting. And his whole kind of... Because he tells the faith healer that he's accepted that he's never going to see again. He's not Mm. got any hope to see because that's what the doctors have told him. And it's interesting when he talks about how in his rational mind he has accepted that that he won't see again but then when he talks about his dreams how he you know how he feels like he's seen his son that he's never seen or or he sees his daughter again how she's grown up and then he wakes up in the morning and you know he realizes that his subconscious is clinging on to a reality and is still trying to hope for something that he can never achieve again so it's quite interesting to know that he, obviously he accepts that subconsciously he does want his sight back and he does have some kind of hope of having it Mm. What do you think? Yeah, well, I think it deals really well with the idea that you can... It's not black and white. You yeah. Know, you can... Because I was going to mention as well, it kind of... The film talks of a much wider message of kind of loss mm-hmm. and how to deal with that. Yes, or, or, yes. Or a story of loss. Because uh, I think, as they mentioned in the interview... 
this is one man's experience yeah. of blindness. Of course. It's not a, a kind of whole... It's not a story about blindness in general. Mm-hmm. It's his personal experience. And I think, you know, that kind of... Any sort of loss is really, really complicated. And you can sometimes say things that seem to, you know, contradict yourself. Mm-hmm. But it's just... There's parts of you that heal in certain ways yeah, and parts of yeah. you that, grap- that can grapple with it and parts of you that still are really struggling mm-hmm. and parts of you that are accepting it. And the way that it shows that without using kind of a fragmented narrative yeah. or anything is so understandable. Yes, You know, yeah, yeah. kind of like to watch. I really relate to it. Yeah, I 100, 100% agree with you. It's such a relatable story. It's it is, You're completely right. It's not... a just a story about blindness it's a story about one man's uh, journey into blindness but more than anything it's a story about loss and how as human beings we cope with loss and move on or learn to accept our new realities right and there's a couple of lines that really stuck out for me um he says that he's struggling to accept it but not mm-hmm. accepting it seems futile yeah what's he's struggling with the idea that the thought is he just has to go on Mm because there's not really another option and there's also a part where he says the discovery that you're useless is not a nice discovery for any father yeah and that speaks of so many things yeah you feel that you've you've in some way failed Mm -hmm. and i i don't think it's too much of a kind of exaggeration to say that i think this is going to be one of those films i'm going to revisit throughout my life when I'm trying to deal with losing something. Yeah. Like, I think it's that... Oh, I just... That's how much it kind of got to me. Yeah, I'm with you there. Definitely, definitely. I think it's one of those films that there's lines in it that are so profound, so deeply profound about existence. And, you know, they talk about, in general, don't they, if you lose a sense, your other senses become more heightened. Yes, And And I feel like, somehow, with John's experience, it's almost as if his understanding of, of the world has been heightened. Does that make sense? Is that too much? I just No, no, because that's what he says at, towards the end. Yeah. He starts to say, I had one of the most enjoyable days I've ever had today mm. because my bra- I could feel my brain making all these connections mm-hmm. and I felt like I was really grasping something. Like, yes. my cognition was brilliant. Like, he's he really feels on top form. Yeah. Even though one of his senses has gone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the filmmakers talk about the idea that it really was a journey and towards the end of it, and by the time they had met John and were talking to him, these tapes were made a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, of course. And he'd really come to peace, come yeah. at peace, you know, with with his blindness. Yeah. And so to go back, we talk about it in the interview, but to go back was, was difficult oh, at times. Yeah. Um, so just a huge amount of respect for them. Yes. For, for doing that. Um one of the big questions that John reflects on is this idea of insight. Mm-hmm. And if we can have insight into other people, how do we go about that? Like, can we ever really understand someone else? Do you feel you you had insight into John's experience? And, and in general, do you think we can ever have... I mean, I think you can never fully understand someone else's experience or something because, of course, you know, you get a version of some... Like, with this film, I feel feel he's obviously being incredibly honest and we're really... I feel, like, very connected to his story and, like, I I have a new level of understanding of what it must have been like, but I don't think I could ever profess to fully understand because I don't think you ever can someone else's experience that fully. 
it was interesting and that was one of the questions that he kind mm. of reflected on and obviously again that goes so much further than just I mean that just speaks of the world you know yes definitely how much can we understand but like I said I think I found this film so hopeful yes yes most definitely like it's not a depressing film no it's not at all I actually felt it's heartwarming for me there were times during the film where I just I felt so emotional for him mm-hmm. but because the film takes you on that journey to his acceptance it was so heartwarming to know that you know the human spirit can triumph over difficult times and you know it's actually your connect your connections with people never stop I think the connections that he, he has with his family with his children there's a really wonderful scene I, I felt towards the end of the film um, with him and his son uh, where they work out a way of waving to each other without hands and it's just so so touching that you can't ho- help but feel heartwarmed and it's so joyful yes yeah, so joyful yeah just want to talk about the end of the film now the, the very last scene so so if you are still listening up to now maybe maybe and you haven't seen it maybe you want to turn off and come back just to hear our general kind of review which yeah. unsurprisingly is going to be <laughs> really positive uh so one of the first lines is john says do you remember the way the tide came in and then obviously right at the end you have the real john and Marilyn, yes. um standing facing the ocean and then there's a long shot of the sea as writing reveals that John has, has died. Mm-hmm. And I thought to write that above the sea was such a beautiful way mm-hmm. of doing it when water was such a strong theme yes. in, his, in his visions and his diaries. And it's such a recurrent image for him. I just wondered what you thought about those last few minutes. Oh, wonderful, breathtaking, joyful, <laughs> beautiful. All of the positive adjectives I can think of. Yeah, absolutely loved it. The, the ending was stunning. It was like a beautiful portrait of yes, them as well. There, I mean, that could just make such a the image yes. itself. Yeah, and also, you know, it, to end on such a note of like love and happiness too. And I think that is the main thing about the film is you do get an insight into what seems like the, one of the most loving and happy families, don't you think? Yeah. And yeah, and to but it doesn't. It's probably important because we're talking a lot about how great this is. Like, <laughs> how but it doesn't make it seem without problem. Oh no, not at all. Like, because I suppose we're in spoiler territory now, so we yeah. can talk about when he goes back home to visit his Australian right. family, which seemed so difficult yeah. and, and not without problems. And the you know, um, Marilyn talks about the fear of losing him. Yeah. At one point, I think she says maybe I should scratch my eyes out oh, to you and yeah. just yeah, to join it, you in this world. Yeah, she, he was, she was saying that he goes, he's able, he's not able to, he's been forced to go into a world that she can't enter with him and mm. how hard that is for her to feel like she, I don't think she says she feels like she's losing him actually, but that she feels like she can't share the experience with him. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. But yeah. What do you think of that? The Australian bit was very difficult to watch. Yes, and, it was. Um... Like I said earlier, the Christmas bit. Oh, yeah. That, I think, is a feeling that everyone can relate to from the Christmas section. Christmas is hard. Christmas is hard. And that that feeling of going, I have to stay here. Yeah. Because I have to for these people that are around yeah. me. Because it would hurt them so much if I didn't. But I physically can't stay. Like, that, and that, I think we can all probably remember a time in your life where you felt that kind of flight 
yeah, it's that fight or flight thing, isn't it? That humans have just innately in them as a core instinct. And to try and squash your instinct to fly is must be so hard. And you can see him when he's um, sitting on the sofa mm-hmm. and the narration is talking yes. about... Um, or he's saying out loud. Because they do a great thing when they go from present to past. Yeah. Kind of all in one thing. Um, and you can see in his body language, he's like... Yeah. Agonising because he, he's so frustrated yeah. and he wants to go, but he knows he can't go. Mm-hmm. Um, before we wrap up, anything else? Any other? Oh, I feel like we've just said so many wonderful things about this film, but I just want to say again absolutely incredible absolutely moving it's my film of the year so far and honestly think it will be one of my favorite films for a long time and yeah i feel like it's really changed my perception on a lot of things so as we said this is available on curse on home cinema and other documentary top picks from me available on curse on home cinema are grizzly man have you seen grizzly man Mm -mm. Oh my goodness, so much to discuss. Not okay. time now, but wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Grizzly Man is currently in their Icons collection. Um, and you can find the list of curated, which is part of their Curzon Curates feature on their website, which is under the collections tab. And Great. there's lots of collections of films that have been specially handpicked and curated by the people at the Curzon. Um, also on Curzon Home Cinema is Fire at Sea that we reviewed a couple of weeks ago. Totally brilliant. Touching the Void, Exit Through the Gift Shop, and The Act of Killing. They're just my personal topics. Great. So it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. See you next week. See ya. Bye. Bye.